the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. I promise you, (laughs) today uh, is uh, earlier today, all day Friday, people celebrating Abraham Lincoln's birthday. I will not be having uh, John Cribb, the uh, old Abe author, on yet again. I had him on Andrea Kay's show earlier in the week. I had him on our show yesterday, uh, and he's a great guy. But uh, we'll, we'll let this Lincoln weekend sit. Actually, I will tell you, on Monday, our great Uh, and the Answer San Diego uh, Salem Radio Network folks uh, we are not in the office but we are putting together a show for you so we'll still have shows and uh, still be able to do that so uh, in fact I will use some of my Abe uh, on that that, uh, show so uh, but we are um, we've got some great guests today and I'm very very interested to talk with Adam Mill Adam Mill is a uh, lawyer in Kansas City who writes a very almost every time he writes provocatively on AmericanGreatness.com AmGreatness.com sorry it's the American Greatness blog. So we'll talk with Adam Mill. And then we'll also visit with Noah Weinrich, who is from the Heritage Action, uh, the action arm of Heritage Foundation, about some of the nominees and some of the things that are happening. So uh, wait for all that. All right. But what you need to know today is, uh, well, earlier Friday, as the impeachment defenders of the president, the lawyers who are defense for the president, uh, embarked on their efforts, they did really, really well. I've been kind of milk toast on them for a couple days, and I told you most of the media is savaging them, but it's kind of a pile-on. But it's always a pile-on when the other guys go first. In other words, the prosecutors go first, and they got to load everything up. You're like, oh, man, boy, that seems terrible. Well, the defense is on a roll now. And the defense today, or Friday, uh, earlier, uh, had this incredible set of videos where they just exposed the hypocrisy of the Democrats, the silliness of the allegations, and the disconnectedness of the facts. So kudos to the uh, the defense team for President Trump. And I say this a little bit tongue in cheek, but for finally getting their act in gear. And they only have a few hours. Uh, they only had a, a few hours today. They, they stopped a few hours short is what I'm saying. And they'll be off for uh, for all of uh, until Sunday because of the. Um, uh, one of the lawyers is a Orthodox Jew and, and is observant on the Sabbath. So uh, they had, you know, five or six hours and they did just great. And here's the amazing thing. They actually played. The videos, the actual videos exposing a few of the major hoaxes, including the incredible fine people hoax, you know, the Charlottesville hoax, where the media says that Donald Trump said that there are fine people on both sides, meaning both sides of a fight between Antifa and the uh, neo-Nazis or or, uh, BLM. Yeah, Antifa and neo-Nazis. That's not what Donald Trump said. If you actually watch the entire video, we've talked about it a dozen times on this program, you watch the actual video. You see Donald Trump say there's fine people on both sides of the debate whether to take down statues. And then he says without prompting, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis or the white supremacists, they should be condemned. That's what he says. So today, uh, excuse me, on uh, Friday on the uh, on the pro- on the um, impeachment, I'm getting confused on the days on the impeachment, you got uh, you had the lawyers for President Trump actually play those videos. 
and show that what the mainstream media, CNN, MSNBC, and everybody else, has been lying about for years. One of the worst lies we've ever had in American history, that the president was so terrible and would say that, exposed. And the funny, beautiful thing was the CNN had to cover it because they were covering the whole impeachment. If they broke away from the coverage of the impeachment, they would have had to say why, and it would have given the story even more life. So they had to sit through. It was incredible trap that was laid for them, and there they were. Now, will it matter? I'm not sure it will. Not when you spend three and a half years brainwashing your viewers to believe that Donald Trump said that, and they see it once, they won't believe it. But still, it was rich that it had to be played out. It was wonderful to see. And the defense lawyers did a good job. And then they went on. And this law, one lawyer, I think his name was Vander Kem, Vander Keem, maybe I might be mispronouncing it. He was a new one for me to see. And I watched a lot of it today. He went into this explanation about how they're attacking this president, President Trump, for the use of words. And he's like, first of all, it's free speech. And he went into the background on that and it, you know, trying to claim incitement when somebody gives a speech. But then he went into the lies of the Democrat impeachment managers who showed doctored videos and quoted doctor. Doc- pieces of speech and he played the whole uh, the whole um, uh, segments all the entirety of the segments in context and it was phenomenal it was phenomenal it showed how the impeachment managers the prosecutors in this stupid impeachment were making it up and they were just and they weren't even just making it up even <coughs> pardon me Eric Swalwell had quoted a tweet and he said, here's someone who said, just say the word, Mr. President, we'll bring in the cavalry. And he, he didn't even realize it was a, a, a church group. And their term was to when they wanted their prayer group to come in, they called it bring in the cavalry, playing on the word Calvary and cavalry, of course. But Swalwell just put it up there as if she was calling, saying, as soon as you say the word, we'll get the troops and making it look like President Trump then called for it. This is insanity. But it was great to have them break this down and expose it all. And then... Wonderfully, the impeachment defense lawyers for President Trump played videos of all the senators and all many of the representatives. I mean, all the Democrats using the same words they're now attacking Trump for fight. We're going to fight. We'll fight him. We'll fight in the street. And Trump never said fight in the streets, by the way. He said you keep fighting and maybe replace these guys at the ballot box. That's what he said. But he used the word fight. Well, here was images of everybody from uh, Schumer and, and others that fight in the streets. We'll fight in the streets. Tim Kaine will fight in the streets. We'll fight in the streets. And they, and they played these videos. Oh, they played the on a, on a loop, not on a loop. They played over and over one after another. That's the phrase one after after another so much so that when they went to a break on friday afternoon fox news's resident defender of the establishment chris wallace actually complained he said i can't believe how dumb this is they're insulting the jurors and i and and then someone gently correct said well the democrat jurors the democrat senators they're not likely to be with you know persuadable and wallace had to admit that but that's exactly it showed the hypocrisy now i've told you Hypocrisy is not a distinguishing characteristic in politics. Not at all. I mean, not at all. Not in the least. And so you should, we shouldn't think that uh, that matters at all to any of these people. But still, it was striking to watch 
the the one after another quality of these uh, of these uh, um, uh, videos that the impeachment defenders played. It really was uh, really fun to watch, and it was very effective. And as Ron Johnson, the congressman from Wisconsin, said when he came out, uh, he came out uh, into the hallway and he said, "Boy, the impeachment managers, the impeachment defenders, just destroyed the impeachment managers. There's not even a comparison. It's not even close. And it, you know this this thing is over. And I think you know." Again, I think a lot of people thought the same thing. Of course, it doesn't matter, as I've told you before. This is just theater. This is just uh, kabuki theater staged uh, for the effect of the people that are in big tech, big media, and big government. And they're not going to stop. They don't care. In a few moments, we'll talk with Adam Mill about how one of the big, one of the one of the people who seems to be at the center of a lot of the action on January 6th looks like a Black Lives Matter activist, or at least he was one three months ago or six months ago. Maybe he changed sides. Maybe he's on all sides. Maybe he's, I don't know what. But it was a good day for people that uh, wanted the president defended well and wanted to see uh, pushback. So congratulations to those uh, guys and gals who were working so hard on the defense. And again, uh, they'll be off until Sunday when they'll keep going. I think they have another couple of days. Hopefully they'll get through this um, whole process in a few more days after that. So, all right, uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we'll, as I said, talk to Adam Mill. We'll also spend some time as soon as the, uh, as soon as the, um, Senate gets done with these silly impeachment. They will start confirming some people for the cabinet, or at least fighting over it. We'll talk with Noah Weinrich of, of Heritage Action about that. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's been a few weeks. I bet it's been, excuse me, a few months even since we talked to our old friend Adam Mill. He's an attorney based in Kansas City and uh, writes uh, fairly frequently over at American Greatness. i got to tell you, American Greatness, the blog over there, amgreatness.com, is really coming into his, uh, its own. And a couple days ago, Adam wrote a piece that I thought, look, it was sort of uh, a follow-on to something that Julie Kelly wrote in that uh, on Am- American Greatness and raising questions about, hey, um, this whole impeachment, the impeachment itself, now the impeachment trial, we don't know facts. We're just told a story and and they just chant it over and over again. So first of all, welcome, Adam, to the program. How are you today? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all you do, Ed. Oh, you're nice to say thank you. And the title of this piece, uh, this essay at American Greatness, Meet the BLM Activist Who Helped Direct the January 6th Capitol Incident. Adam, walk us through the very simple facts about one of the people that was at the center of January 6th. Uh, okay, and Ed, you're absolutely right. He was literally at the, at the center of the scrum that uh, penetrated most deeply into the Capitol. He was... Uh, the, the footage of that um, Air Force veteran who got shot, he shot that, that footage, and he, his voice can be heard all the way through. His name is uh, John E. Sullivan. He's from Utah. Uh, he uh, was an activist with uh, BLM. He, he started this organization called Insurgents USA. Uh, he has uh, organized rallies. Uh, he organized one rally where a person got shot, almost killed, and he's since charged with a number of crimes. So he shows up to, to Washington, D.C., and he infiltrates the, um, 
the MAGA protesters, the, the, the pro-Trump protesters, and and he really eggs them on. And he he says to everybody, "Well, I'm there as a journalist. I'm there to uh, to record all of this stuff." But he, you can hear in his own recordings that he's egging them on. He's encouraging them to burn down the Capitol and, uh, right. and to set fires, to break windows, to kick in doors. Uh, he himself, uh, you can hear him admit on the audio that he, um, he, broke, he broke one of the windows. Uh, when the police try to stop him, stop the, the group, and in fact, the police did stop the group, he comes up to the police and he tells uh, two uh, you know, badly outnumbered Capitol Police officers that they better stand down or they're going to get hurt. And they do. And mm-hmm. then he helps, uh, he helps make sure that there's a hole so that the police officers can abandon their posts so that they can, they can make, make it through the next room. It's really a crazy story. That now, the left has said, well, this guy isn't really with BLM. We rejected him. And, and it is true. There have been some Twitter uh, posts even before the January 6th riots in which um, they, they did denounce him. But nevertheless, he organized rallies, BLM-style rallies, uh, that were heavily attended, and uh, and he is he's spoken at uh, anti-Trump rallies, including one in Washington D.C. They you know gave him the microphone, and uh, to great applause, he said he wanted to rip Trump out of the uh, out of the White House. And then in January, he shows up at at this rally to egg on and encourage and even direct some of this mob action that were um, uh, that you know the impeachment trial is over. And it's just, it, he was actually turned in by his own brother, uh, James, a guy by the name of James Sullivan. This is the really crazy part. Uh, before uh, John Sullivan uh, became this radical, uh, he had a lot of money. He bought a Mercedes with cash. He started to buy a house um, uh, before this all happened. And he has not only started a anti, uh, or a, uh, the Insurgents USA group, he also started a group that posed as a, as a conservative group, too. So he is, he's hmm. somebody who definitely wants America to, to fight amongst themselves, and he's been pretty successful. Well- and we're talking with Adam Mill, and I, I tell people, Adam's a lawyer uh, specializing in uh, labor law, employment law over in Kansas City, where I uh, was for a year. I didn't practice, but I was in clerking that year, and, and that's his pen name. So he's uh, he writes frequently, The Federalist, American Greatness, Daily Caller. I was looking in the comments, Adam, and I, and someone said, oh, what a loser. And you actually you actually re- re- replied in the comments and said, guy wasn't a loser. He was pretty good at organizing. And so my question is, um, was is he uh, mentally ill? Your read on it. I know you can't read his mind yet. You didn't met him, is he, but you think he's mentally ill? Is he a sort of uh, Marxist anarchist? And here's a bigger question: After you answer me those two, wh- why isn't he um, described uh, clearly by anybody? Is he even under is he under arrest right now? Uh, so he was charged. Um, let me t- try and handle all those questions. He was charged. Okay. He was charged with that same kind of crime that everybody else was charged with who, who made it into the Capitol. Kind of a, a, a beefed-up criminal trespass and entering remaining in a restricted area, that kind of thing. Uh, these would normally be misdemeanors. Some of these people are being held without bail. I think there's a guy from Arizona who was, who was being held without bail. But this guy, John Sullivan, after he made his appearance in front of a magistrate, he was released with no bond, just on his own recognizance. And they gave him some conditions for what to do, uh, you know, what not to do after he gets released. 
he promptly violates those conditions. He continues doing exactly what the judge told him not to do if he wanted his freedom, which included being an activist, being on Insurgents USA. He gives press interviews. He gets, he tries to raise funds for his group. And, and then the government files a motion. Um, this is, I think, about a week or two ago, saying, hey, this guy's violating his conditions of release. He should go into custody now. And I checked, uh, I think, this morning. It doesn't look like he has been taken into custody yet. So it's it's a little strange that uh, he would he would get this different treatment. Like he'd be allowed to go around and continue doing what he was doing, even though he penetrated into the you know the deepest part of the riot. He was he was definitely directing and encouraging. Whether you think he was a leftist or a right wing kook or just a crazy person, he should be locked up. He's already participated in two um, you know very serious uh, events that were violent. And uh, and he's you know he appears to get off on that. He likes that. Well, and again, we're talking to Adam Mill, and it's this extraordinary, fascinating piece at American Greatness that he wrote just a day or two ago. It's published over there. You should check it out. It's called uh, Meet the BLM Activist Who Helped Direct the January 6th Capitol Incident. At the very least, when you read the facts, just the facts, forget about, oh, Adam tries to say, what could this mean? What could that mean? This is about a guy who was arrested, uh, John Sullivan. He had played a role with BLM. He had played a role with other rallies. He clearly was uh, taunting or directing, whatever the phrase you want, on video at, on January 6th. No conversation about it, I, I'll tell you, Adam. I'm no in the, in the Democrat impeachment trial, or even the media, of course. I I had a call from a friend of mine, an old old timer who's uh, lived in Austria when the, under the communists, uh, the Soviet communists, and she said, um, as soon as she saw it, she said there was infiltrators in that. It was uh, you know it was a plan. It was someone was doing something. Now I wonder, this guy seems kind of sloppy if he was an infiltrator. In other words, I, I think there may have been some people that were in there and out and gone, and and you you don't even know or. Or, but this guy seems like a mess, but we don't hear anything about him. I mean, what's your thought on, on, on whether he was part of a group effort or if there was a coordinated effort or anything like that? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that um, I was thinking back. Do you remember the Chaz uh, event when, in yeah. Seattle? Yep. And there was a yep. there was a kind of a warlord or self styled warlord. I can't remember the guy's name. It was um, Jazz or something like that. And he started. Pa- he he used to do Airbnb, and then when Chaz happened, all of a sudden he's passing out these um, these two thousand dollar AR fifteens <laughs> to virtual strangers. Yeah. And you just got to ask yeah. yourself, is there money behind these people who all of a sudden they seem to have a lot of money and a lot of knowledge and they know how to be in the right place at the right time? And, you know, I think there's some mysteries about how this Sullivan guy, you know, knew exactly where to go and, uh, and, and just be in the right place at the right time. He's paying for travel, you know, these expensive tickets and he's, you know, he's traveling all over the place. Uh, without, you know, without seeming to have his own money. And, you know, there are a lot of other mysteries, too. Like, Ed, I don't know if you're aware um, that two of the police officers who, who were in the Capitol building have since um, committed suicide. Uh, one, yeah. of, one of the, the one who was supposedly killed by the action, they've walked by that back. And now they're saying uh, he actually didn't uh, suffer any blunt force trauma. There was, it wasn't a uh, Trump supporter hitting him with a fire extinguisher. And they're not saying how he died. Then one of the guys who committed yeah. suicide, one of the police officers, he died in a moving car. So they found him, him uh, his remains after he shot himself in a ditch. It, you know, his car ran off the, the road after he hmm. shot himself, which is really strange. I've never heard of somebody like shooting themselves in a moving car by themselves. 
Yeah. No, look, I mean, I think, and again, we're talking with Adam Mill and appreciate very much his piece, uh, again, over at American Greatness dot, uh, amgreatness.com, American Greatness. It's, uh, the title is Meet the BLM Activists Who Helped Direct the January 6th Capitol Incident. Yeah, what I've said, Adam, is the narrative machine is pushing the narrative of big tech, big media, and big government, which is the left in power right now, and they're giving us something that's not even related to the facts. And your own colleague at American Greatness, Julie Kelly, a few days ago, was writing about that police officer. Tragically died. I, I got no problem... Uh, feeling very, very bad if he died even from a chemical reaction or a, a allergic reaction to chemical, you know, pepper gas or whatever. But I do object strenuously to three weeks of uh, flags at half staff, honorable, uh, tied to a murder. Uh, they said it was a murder by the insurgents. And as you and I both would agree, Adam, you show me a cop killer or someone kills a cop, we'll put down all of our other concerns and track that down. We will not track down the person who held up the Nancy Pelosi nameplate ahead of the guy or gal who killed a cop. And for three and a half weeks, we've been told cop killer, and now we're told allergic reaction. That's done for a reason, is my point, and you and I both know why. All right, I got to run. I'm sorry, Adam. Adam Mill, it's great to have you back. We got to have you on sooner. It's been too long. Adam Mill uh, over at American Greatness Writing. We appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much. All the best. All right, all the best to you. We'll take a break and we come back. By the way, I'll put that piece up on social media directly so you can find it on my Twitter feed and Facebook Live. Uh, you want to read that one, the piece from Adam Mill. Very important. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, great to be back again. I was just talking off the air as we got ready for this interview uh, with our next guest, you know, uh, and uh, one of the things I say is that the great privilege of doing this program is taking these segments and sometimes slowing down and covering exactly what's happening. Our next guest is Noah Weinrich. He's the press secretary at Heritage Action. Heritage Action, if you don't quite track it, Heritage is Heritage Foundation, of course, is the iconic think tank. Heritage Action is their, uh, is a, a Affiliated group, but it does a little bit more, a um, little bit less think tanky, and a little bit more. Hey, we need these policies pushed through. It's a five one C four, if I'm correct, and and therefore does a little bit more pushing. So uh, Noah Weinrich and I, I asked him to come on because I saw him and others talking about the repeal and the change, or the Biden, President Biden repealing the Mexico City policy. So first, Noah, welcome to the program. Did I describe uh, Heritage Action well enough? Hi, Ed. You did. That's exactly right. We're, uh, we are the action arm of Heritage Foundation. Uh, we have Sentinels and grassroots members all across the country, um, and we help them sort of advocate for conservative causes in D.C., Perfect. Yeah, that's great. You you said it better, so I'm glad you said it again. Uh, great. Well, I, I wanted to ask you now of the many things you see ha- we see happening, and you know, executive orders and all these many, many, you know, dozens of them. Walk us through what the Mexico City policy is and what the Biden administration did by reversing it. Sure thing. So the Mexico City policy is a rule first implemented in 1985 by Ronald Reagan. Um, President Reagan instituted this rule, and it essentially says that uh, U.S. funds cannot go to any non-governmental organization overseas. Um, these are generally nonprofits that do work in other countries um, and that actively perform or uh, recommend abortions. And so essentially it's a rule to prevent taxpayer money from going to fund abortions overseas. And this is a rule that gets batted back and forth. Republic, every Republican president has instituted this rule. Every Democratic president since Reagan has rescinded it. Um, Biden, in his very first week in office, rescinded the rule as 
every other Democrat has done. And so now taxpayer dollars are again going overseas to foreign NGOs to fund abortions or to fund organizations that refer, encourage and promote abortions. And so when that so basically right now, it's kind of a ping pong ball, right? Whoever's in power when when this started, it was Reagan that did it. And then Clinton immediately flipped it back. And then Bush, or, yeah, George W. Bush flipped it back and then Obama. So it's a ping pong ball. Right. And why hasn't there been a moment where someone uh, with a, a party, either the pro abortion Democrats or the pro life Republicans, when they have all the houses, you know, both houses and the presidency pass something that would lock it in? That's a great question. Um, There's often not the political will, unfortunately. Uh, A lot of folks don't want to stir up controversy, even though this is really, when you think about it, not a controversial policy. It basically says, you know, we're not going to change abortion laws here, uh, but Americans disagree on abortion. You know, half the country or probably more doesn't want their taxpayer dollars going overseas for abortions, so we're just not going to make them pay for it. Um, And the reason that it hasn't been changed by Congress, part of it is that it falls under the executive authority. You know, he has sort of control over a lot of these funding programs, and so he's the one who gets to say this. But, of course, as you point out, Congress has the power. They can legislate. But it's also symptomatic of a broader problem where Congress wants to really give their authority over to the administration. It's a little politically easier for them. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. That's a great way to say it. We're talking with uh, Noah Weinrich, and he's with Heritage Action. He's the press uh, secretary there, and that's exactly right. The the, uh, the Congress likes to uh, abdicate their their responsibilities so that they don't have to worry about it. Then they answer, oh, geez, Joe Biden did that. We better win the presidency last time. If next time, if you're a, a, a pro-lifer, um, I, you know, I want to follow on now. When when Donald Trump won for president, I think that the the Democrats opposed like every single nominee and you know i mean ever i th- maybe i'm misremembering it you know like but i think they he nominated somebody to be like ambassador to nowhere and they all objected and made him go through all the procedural hoops and of course there is a slight majority in the uh, u.s senate where confirmations have to be run but it's still tight enough um so tell me about some of these appointments is there do you see enough uh conservatives republicans fighting is it a hopeless cause maybe highlight some of the big ones that we're gonna at least see some attention on Sure thing. Uh, So we've actually done some research on this. We went back through every nomination under President Obama, President Trump, and President Biden, and how long it took them to get through Congress. What we found was that uh, under President Obama, generally the Senate passed his nominees quickly. You know, there were a few that got delayed, but generally they passed through quickly. Then the Democrats played hardball. They, uh, They delayed every one of Trump's nominees. You know, there were some there were some appointments uh, you know, take DHS. There was no permanent director of DHS for I think years um, because mm-hmm. you know the Democratic the Democrats were not going to go for it. Um, we actually saw in 2009, 12 of President Obama's nominees were confirmed in his first two days in office. Under President Trump, only two were confirmed. And so we saw, um, you know, Republicans generally let the nominees through. Democrats played hardball, which is why we're saying now, look, there's no reason to play softball with Biden and just let all of these radical nominees through. You know, conservatives need to stand up. And they're doing some of them are doing that, but too many are not. And there's already been some radical nominees confirmed. Uh, The ones we're really paying attention to are um, Alejandro Mayorkas, who's already been confirmed uh, to lead DHS. Yeah. 
Now he is right. he is going to help push the open borders amnesty agenda of the Biden administration. The next two to watch out for are Neera Tandon. Uh, for the yeah, this one I saw. I saw. I, I saw Heritage Action. Yeah, you were on top of this. Tell, tell us about her. That's right. So she formerly had she formerly led the Center for American Progress, which is sort of the left wing counterpart to the Heritage Foundation, um, and she mm-hmm. just has a history of embracing. Uh, single-payer health care, government-run health care, uh, amnesty, open borders, extreme climate change or extreme climate legislation, uh, and, of course, a nasty uh, personal history with a lot of the senators. So she's going to be – she's been nominated for the head of one of the most powerful offices within the White House that oversees pretty much the budget and pretty much all regulations, and she helps implement the uh, – president's strategy across the administration. So we put out a key vote today pointing out our history of radical policies. We think senators should not confirm her. Now, that was usually mentioned there was two. There was another one. What was the other one you're watching? I think you said there was one more. I don't want to run out of time. That's right. Yeah. So Javier Becerra, formerly a Democrat. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Formerly a Democratic representative and then attorney general of California. He's now been uh, nominated to head the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, this oversees, you know, healthcare. Um, and of course, he's not a doctor. He has real no no experience in the medical industry. Uh, his only real experience with with healthcare is uh, pushing for more abortions, more abortion funding, fewer abortion regulations. That's really his only connection to healthcare. Um, he is also he's going to be pushing that if he's confirmed to the administration. He's also going to help push this uh, this amnesty proposal. You know, he, he he's really a radical, and we don't think any senator should support him. Hmm. And uh, and all right, so um, how long will that process go on? How many more nominations? I mean, are we in? When we get through this impeachment, do we have two or three more weeks of nominations? I mean, we're already into almost March. I mean, is this is it going to go on for more uh, a, a months or what? It's going to go on for a while. Um, you know, as we said, it, it's the longer. Honestly, it, it should go on longer. Uh, nobody should be rubber stamping these nominations. Um, Tandon had her hearings this week, uh, so she'll come up for a committee vote soon, and she may be voted in as early as next week, although it might take a couple of weeks. So we're going to see nominations after the impeachment trial. We're going to see them all throughout March. So after impeachment, this is really one of the key fights to be watching. Hmm. Very good. All right. Hey, thank you for uh, the insight in it. And uh, Noah Weinrich, uh, keep us on speed dial for uh, things that Heritage Action is seeing. It's uh, Heritage Heritage Foundation, of course, does unbelievable stuff. It's got people like uh, Ed Meese there and Hans von Spakowski and so many others. But Heritage Action is kind of in the fray, so I like to hear about it. So keep us on the old speed dial and let us know what's going on. So thank you, Noah. For uh, Hey, where can people go to find out more about Heritage Action and get LinkedIn if they want to? Sure. Just go to heritageaction.com. You can find out about all this there. Or you can text okay. uh, 51776. Just text ACTION to 51776. And we'll send you the mm, updates. Cool. We won't spam you. We'll keep you in the loop. <laughs> Very good. Important to say that. All right. Thanks, Noah Weinrich. Appreciate it. Heritage Action. We'll put it, I'll put it up on social media also. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. I will not be among those celebrating President's Day today. 
I can think of a lot of presidents who do not deserve to be honored with a holiday. But George Washington surely does. And in fact, this third Monday in February is by federal law George Washington's birthday, not President's Day. The calendars goofed up the name of this holiday by calling it President's Day at the time when we made our holidays fall on Mondays. Ask your children why we honor George Washington as first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. If they don't know, teach them some facts about Washington that they will not learn in school. Among the many great men of his time, he was the acknowledged leader. He earned and retained the enthusiastic loyalty of his men because of his daily adherence to sound judgment, justice, and zeal for duty. George Washington was a man of tremendous personal honor and integrity. With Washington, what you saw was what you got. The public man and the private man were one and the same. He is an extraordinary example of a public official whose character was above reproach and whom praise by others did not corrupt. The liberals and secularists have tried to make Washington out to be only a deist, but deists do not believe in miracles or in the intervention of the Lord to help humans. Records show that Washington was a lifelong member of the Anglican Church, and he repeatedly implored God for his protection and favor. It's clear from Washington's recorded prayers that he prayed for the direct intervention of God to aid our victory for independence. It's also clear that Washington believed that God did intervene to help the Americans attain victory at crucial times during our war for American independence. George Washington was America's indispensable man. It is no exaggeration to say that without his leadership, we would not have a United States of America. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Let's finish up with what you need to do. I have a long weekend assignment. A lot of folks have the holiday weekend. They get Abraham Lincoln off or their family's got a, kids have a, um, holidays from school. So today's What You Need to Do, The Window is a very special reading assignment. A very special reading assignment. And I want you to go and read the platform of the Republican Party. If you go and take the platform, I'll post it in my social media. There's actually a very good resource. The University of California at Santa Barbara maintains a database, a massive database of all of the... Um, all things related to presidential stuff, including platforms and campaign materials. It's really well done. University of California, Santa Barbara. One of the things they have is the platform, uh, all the platforms going back in time for presidential uh, folks. And so I've got, I'll put it up on social media, uh, my copy of it so you can see it. Uh, and if you go to my Twitter feed or if you go to uh, uh, Facebook Live or anywhere, you'll see it there. But you can find it easily enough. Just search for, uh, actually search for Republican Platform. 
2016. And the reason why you have to do that is because 2015 is, um, is excuse me, a 2020 platform is the same exact one. Uh, President Trump decided not to fight over the platform and to just adopt the platform from 2016. So the existing platform of the Republican Party which will not be revised until uh, the 2024 convention when there'll be a conversation and the revisions I think will be sort of far too, um, it'll be almost eight years of this platform. So read the platform. When people ask you, who's the Republican Party? Say, uh, read the platform. We're happy to welcome the 20% of the Republican Party that thinks they're in charge, Liz Cheney, Pat Toomey, other people. But they're only in charge of money. They're only in charge, many of them, of being in an office in an elective position. But we, the people, have picked, in terms of the Republican Party, read the platform. America first, pro-life, military superiority, identifying the communist Chinese regime as, as deeply evil and problematic, an enemy. On and on. The Monroe Doctrine, I don't think it's in there by name, uh, but it's in there very specifically in terms of the protection of our hemisphere and our the influence of others. It's a very strong document. The Republican Party platform, and let me walk you through it again. This is why it's so important. Even though people say, oh, well, what do the parties stand for? They only stand for the person in charge. Well, that's sort of true. You know, Joe Biden is the face of the Democrat Party. Donald Trump is the face of the Republican Party. But you, you get the, the leaders of the parties have to pick their platform. And so I can tell you, I was there in 2016. Donald Trump was the nominee. He wanted a conservative platform. His people, who uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly was still alive, she was active in that fight. We kept out of there a whole bunch of the stuff that would have been bad, including uh, efforts to change the Constitution and moderate uh, uh, to put moderate language in and try to make things you know, and took out some of the old uh, pieces of the old guard and created an America First document. Now. It is important because the, the written word for especially the American people, but also the West, the written word has a special meaning because the Judeo-Christian tradition, both of those are, are faiths of the book. And especially for Christians, the word became flesh, the word. And so there's this great tie to language and words. And even though the printing press only was uh, created in the, you know, 500 years ago, a little bit more than 500 years ago, even before that, the printed word and more importantly, the spoken word, the word, words matter. And so the platform became the explanation, the uh, the the sort of laying down of the of the uh, details of what a party stood for. Let me just tell you a quick story. In in Ireland, in the early part of the twentieth twenty uh, first century, in the early part of this century, there was a move. There, and, and Ireland has a, a parliamentary system, so they have a handful, five or six uh, major parties. There was a move across Ireland to remove from each of those party platforms the language that defined marriage between a man and a woman. And that happened in the early 2000s. And by the t middle of the first uh, decade, 2005 or so, it was all gone. And there was no party left that had that position, protecting marriage between a man and a woman. Lo and behold, a few years later, they had a vote, a referendum of the people. And I don't know, 90% of the people said, yeah, well, let's just let marriage be. In other words, my point is, the written word and, the, and major parties holding a line has an impact both on the politics of those parties and on the country. 
Another example is, after Roe v. Wade in 1973, lots and lots of smart people, insiders with lots of money, lots of status, they said, oh, we got to get the Republican Party, Democrat Party, both have to get right on abortion. And Democrat Party ran to it and got to be the party of pro-abortion. Democrats took that position. It took them 35 years to chase out all the Democrat pro-lifers, but they did. The Republican Party led in part by Phyllis Schlafly and others, said, ah, we're going to keep our party plank and we're going to keep our pro-life plank in the party platform. And they did it. And it made a huge difference. And the simple fact is that it's one of the only major party, well, it's the only major party in America with the pro-life plank, but even in the world, as others have slipped. So there's a value with holding by holding on to the words and the platform. And this is my final part of this. And what you need to do is read that platform to remember this. The people who are claiming that they are the party, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Pat Toomey, and others, they're actually the, the last, last gasps of the old party that's long gone. 80% of the Republican Party today is all Trump. The 20% hanging on are the old guard that wish it was so in the past. And you know what? We, the 80%, shouldn't leave. The people that need to leave are the 20%. And over time, they will be. They'll be run out of office. They'll be beaten at races. You know, that's how it'll go. So go today. What you need to do is read the Republican platform. Print it out. There's lots of good sections. You'll find lots of stuff you'd like to read. It's pretty interesting. All right. That's all I've got. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Noah, our technical director. And also, especially, thank you, Joanna, for booking our great guests. And thank you, the listeners. We'll be back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.